0: Welcome to Unfuck Your Brain, the only podcast that teaches you how to use psychology, feminism, and coaching to rewire your brain and get what you want in life. And now, here's your host, Harvard Law School grad, feminist rock star, and master coach, Cara Lowenthal.
1: Hello, my chickens. I am so excited for this conversation today. You will be hearing a series of podcasts over the next. Little while, let's say, in which I have different conversations with the incredible coaches who went through my advanced certification in feminist coaching, which is going to be opening up again soon. So if you want to get on the waitlist for that, we are getting ready to open up registration for Clutch College Live. <laughs> I can't hit a high note, but I am so excited. To finally be doing another Clutch College in person. We will have a virtual attendance option for those of you who can't or don't want to travel, but we will also be gathering together. I am so excited to actually teach and coach in person again. It has been so long. This Clutch College is gonna be all about setting goals how to set big goals, how to achieve them, how to get over imposter syndrome and procrastination, how to really implement massive action, it is going to get you set to accomplish whatever you want to accomplish. Obviously, a topic that I feel extremely passionately about, having built this entire business from scratch. So I'm super excited about it. If you are in the clutch, just keep an eye out. We are going to be Opening up registration on August 19th, you will get an email about it. I'm going to teach a webinar, give you all the information. So just keep your eyes out. So excited. If you are not in the Clutch and you have been thinking about joining the Clutch, now is the time because coming to Clutch College Live will really jumpstart your entire Clutch experience. It's like going to France for six months for your language immersion instead of going to class once a week in like a dusty basement somewhere. (laughs) So, if you have been thinking about joining and you were just waiting for a really good reason, this is your really good reason. Text your email to plus one three four seven nine three four eight eight six one. It's plus one three four seven nine three four eight eight six one, and you will get a link to join the clutch. And then you will be eligible to try to grab a spot at Clutch College Live, which is only for clutch members. So, today we have several incredible coaches. We're going to talk about creativity. So I'm going to leave it mysterious like that and let them introduce themselves. And then we're we're going to see what they have to say. Elena, you want to start us off?
2: My name is Elena McKernan and I am a life coach for artists.
1: Should I say more? Uh, yeah, should you say <laughs> more? I mean, you know, that's, what's your favorite color? Like, what's your, <laughs> like, what's your name? Way. What's your sign? Something. What's, <laughs> what are you wearing? What you wearing, girl? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Many um, of you have also heard of Elena because she is one of my employees. And she is a perfect example of what happens when you hire someone with creativity, which is they do a great job and then they decide to become a life coach. So, that's <laughs> be a love you. Judith, tell us what's up.
0: Yes. Yeah, so I'm Judith Catan. I'm a style coach for curvy women.
1: And that's it. That's all. And that's Favorite
0: it. I colors? can tell you what I'm wearing if that works. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Judith, first of all, messaged us to ask if this would be recorded, then claimed that she was not dressed up and then nevertheless showed up looking more chic than the rest of us with makeup on and like an amazing turban <laughs> on our hair. So there are pin
0: curls under here. There,
1: there are. pin curls under there. She's living up there. Judith and I met when we met at that podcast live thing, right? Yeah. Podcast live. When I was in my master coach training in 2017. We did this event like in the third quarter, I think basically our coach and teacher is just like, I don't know what to do with you people. Why don't you put on an event? And so we put on like, it was like the podcast live, the Life Coach School podcast live which was basically like just teaching and coaching and stuff, but it was like free or like 50 bucks or something very reasonable.
0: Yeah. I think they like, the lure was, it was 97. No, it was a hundred dollars. That's what it was. Mm -hmm. And then we could put that towards chatting with you all, like depending on which coach. Oh yeah. You could get a one-on-one
1: session. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I got a one-on-one session with you in that courtyard and I cried the whole time. Oh yeah.
1: That's standard. Yes. Yeah, I was just outside on my balcony. We'll get to Corey introduce herself in a second. And the people who just moved in next door came out and were like, Hey. And I was like, Oh, hi. Like, and I managed to do, like, What's your name? What's your name? And then I was just like, I don't know what to do if I'm not basically then being like, So, what are you struggling with today? What's what brought you here? Why are you crying? Like, that's kind of all the interactions I have with strangers, especially during the pandemic, are just them <laughs> immediately sobbing to me about whatever's happening in their lives. And so, like, now I don't know how to have normal conversation with people anymore.
0: What would you like coaching on today? Perfect Stranger.
1: Exactly. My neighbor. I remember that courtyard. And then Judith worked with me one-on-one, and then she yeah. ghosted me, and then we made up. Yes. <laughs> my favorite <laughs> stories. <laughs> I
0: did. I totally did. I had like a dramatic moment. I think you were in the parking lot somewhere.
1: And Yeah. I, I was in California with Rachel Hart pulling up to like a pottery store. This was like very early in my business. This is the first time any of my clients had like freaked out and wanted a refund.
0: Yes. Yes. I totally freaked out, which is funny because I'm working, what I created with you, I still use today,
1: which is yes. Yeah, so where's my thousand bucks, Judith? Yeah. I owe you a grand. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Here's the reason I love this story is that like at the time I was so like freaked out because it was very early in my coaching career. That was the first person to ever ask me for a refund, like all the thoughts you can imagine. And then like, here you are, and now you did the advanced certification with me, and we're pals. and it was like so not about me at all, which
0: oh, totally one hundred percent not about you for all you baby coaches out there who get requests for refunds. We promised you it's not about you. I was in the thick of so much drama. And since then, like I did the Nashville retreat with you, oh yeah, so-
1: that's right. We did that also, yeah,
0: yeah, like I've so taught- should not for you. freak out
1: right. Just give the person their refund and let them go figure out for on their own that they need to calm down then.
3: They'll be back. back. Yeah. They'll totally be back. Corey, what's up with you? First of all, I love that story. I had no idea about that. And oh, yeah. My new favorite thought is like, yeah, you never know who's going to be with you for the long term, even if they ask for a refund. This is so amazing.
1: The one to one client I had who I felt like hated me the most, it was like, every session we both were clearly like, why are we doing this? This is so terrible. Like she was resistant to everything I said. She hated me. She hated the process. I hated myself. I hated her. Like the whole thing was horrible. I had to coach myself a lot. (laughs) She didn't coach herself about it probably at all. And you know what? She's like, she joined the clutch maybe six months after it opened. She's still in there. She like does the work. You just like truly never have any idea (laughs) What's going on, and when you can like not operate out of that ego and that freak out, like you hold the space for the person to come back in their own time when they're ready. Not everybody will, but some people will.
3: Yeah, that's really powerful. Okay. I'm Corey Lynn. I coach high achieving women in corporate who want to have a really meaningful, satisfying career, but that's not the experience that they're currently having. Sometimes they're super burnt out. They're super anxious. Sometimes they just like hate their job and want to go get a different job. Often they've already done that sometimes three or four times. And so then they come hire me because they've figured out getting a new job isn't doing the thing. So I really love to coach my clients about work because we spend so much time at work and I just would love for everyone to have a wonderful experience of that.
1: All right. All right. So that's where everybody is. And we are talking about creativity. So what do you guys have to say about creativity?
2: (laughs) Fill us in. I got a lot
1: of pitches for the podcast and this one was the one which we all discussed where I was most like, this is a big topic. What are we going to talk about here? So I guess let's try this. I'll start us off with a question, but then you guys are really in charge. I'm just here to like be the MC. What patterns do you see around the way that women think about creativity in the work that you do or people socialize as women?
0: Yeah, I think the cool evolution of this idea was that we kind of all three of us realized that like what we do is actually really creative and helping our clients. And a lot of it, at least I'll speak for me personally, is what I notice is a lot of my clients have a clear idea of what they don't want, but they very seldom without tons of drama and lots of coaching allow themselves to want what they want. And to like create an outfit even that they want to create a wardrobe that they want to wear the lipstick shade that they want. Like they have all these rules that they carry around with them about what it's supposed to look like, what they should do. And that is sort of the mind fuck cycle that they're in a lot of times. Like just allowing themselves the pleasure of what they want. So I think our bigger like hope for the episode is like talk about all the things. As opposed to like just starting at that place where I think where we find most of our clients, at least from my experience, that's where I find most of my clients. All
1: right, I have bad news. We cannot talk about all the things <laughs> the podcast. <laughs> let's talk about all the things. That's not how you' on podcast, don't you? That's <laughs> yeah. how it works. Episodes have to be about something,
3: yes, of course.
1: all right. What about the rest of you?
3: Yeah, I can go next. I think even though I coach on a very different topic than Judith. I see a lot of the same experiences where clients come to me and they know the experience about work that they don't want, but they know all of these kind of social conditioning, cultural stories about like what it means to have a good job. Like having a good job means you work at this kind of place. You make this kind of money. You have these kind of benefits. You do these kinds of activities. You have these kinds of relationships. And so a lot of what I do with them is about helping them redefine that. And I've always identified as a highly creative person even before thought work, that's been part of my self identity. But a lot of my clients don't identify that way. So, kind of using coaching to empower them to be able to tap into creativity, to think about what they actually want their career to look like, what would feel meaningful for them, and then helping them create the internal permission to begin to make those changes. And sometimes that does mean changing their jobs. Some of my clients quit their jobs, launch businesses, but a lot of my clients stay in their jobs, but they use the creativity and the freedom we create in coaching to really redefine how they work and redefine what their work looks like and to orient it around the things that matter to them instead of trying to live up to those cultural narratives about like what it means to have a good job or do good work in the world.
1: I mean, one of the things that I feel like is coming up already is that creativity is such a broad word. And I think mm-hmm. when most people hear creativity, they think that means like artistic creativity. Like I'm not a creative person because I don't like draw or make pottery Mm -hmm. or whatever, right? That that's what people think creativity is. But of course it's not, it's just using your imagination. I don't know, we didn't even define it, like using your imagination in some way. We talked at Clutch College this past weekend about the idea that like we are all extremely creative because we've created like a whole universe of insane rules in our own brains about how the world's supposed to be. And like, it's like a whole little universe up in there that we all made up. And then, but then we'll be like, but I'm just not creative, but here's my like 17 part manual I have for how exactly everything in the world should be and how everybody should behave and what all the unconscious rules are I have for myself. Like that's a creative act. It's just not a super useful one, but it's definitely generative. Right. So I'm curious, what do you think creativity is Elena? So you are the artist coach among us.
2: Yeah. I mean, that is definitely a big question, but I think it is like literally just Generating anything in your life. And that's actually something that I work with my clients on a lot is my clients tend to identify as artists and as creative people. So they have like certain containers that they've given themselves in which they feel free to create. But then when it comes to actually like thinking outside of the box for their lives or like changing something in a relationship, suddenly it's like they've boxed themselves in again and don't feel that they have the freedom to be creative in that area. So I think something that I try to do with my clients is generate the awareness that they're creating everything in their lives. Like they're even creating their thoughts about certain things so that they can see how like they have the capacity to recreate any area of their lives as well. Yeah.
0: And to like piggyback on that, I think like I have the experience of a lot of my clients who are like what i call lady bosses i mean these are women who have like advanced in their careers they're entrepreneurial like they're the boss of something so a lot of times they tell me like i don't have a personal style like i've never been good at this stuff this beauty style stuff and then we look at how they operate in their career or when they have their business hat on and these are extremely creative women These are women who problem solve on the regular, who've created something from nothing, meaning they've gone from like a mere dream idea in their brain to like a fully fledged business with like pieces and cogs. And I'm just like, how is it that you're not creative? Like run that by me again, boo boo, because that doesn't make sense. But we have to like show them, I think a lot of times like where they are creative, where they have created something from nothing, meaning like idea to like a full fledged tangible entity or a concept or a program, et cetera, and then sort of unlock that same meta skill they have there for what they would consider to be more artistic, maybe more silly, more frivolous sort of pursuits like style and beauty and hair and makeup and all that fun stuff.
1: Why is it important for women to see themselves as creative? Why isn't it fine to just be like, meh, I'm just not creative. That's just like not my jam.
0: I think it's so important because I think a lot of times we give our way, our agency to some external force. And like, that's the reason why we have excelled. This piece of paper has declared that I have this amount of training, therefore now I'm qualified. So we wait on all these external factors to give us license or permission to go do or to go create, as opposed to us realizing at some point, like, we are the magic bringers. Like, I feel stylish, not because my like, closer particular way, but because I've decided so. Like, I have decided that I'm an artist, not necessarily because I can paint, but because I have decided so. Like, I think getting to that place where we, like, own that we're the magic bringers, I think is super fucking powerful. Because if we can own that we're the one creating things, we can also be the ones to dismantle some shit and run some revolution. So, pretty important, <laughs> I think.
1: I like that term magic bringers. I also would like to be called boo-boo now every time that I'm coached. <laughs> I feel like that would just make things land a lot <coughs> softer.
2: We can do that. We can make that happen.
1: <laughs> what about the rest of you? What do you guys think?
2: I agree with Judith. Like I think for me, you can call it whatever you want. Like if you don't want to identify as creative with that terminology, that's fine with me. But I think it's more about owning your power in any situation. Like when you're relating to yourself as not creative or not generative or not powerful you're deferring to like a slew of rules that you've probably inherited from society or from your upbringing and you're relating to those as though they are just like these inflexible things that are guiding your life so owning your capacity to shift your relationship to those things whether you call it creativity whether you call it like owning your power or being the magic bringer that is what gives you the capacity to like impact the world around you and to own your capacity to impact the world.
3: Yeah. I love what both of you have said. And then I think like for career and for my work, there is such a tendency to think in like sort of cookie cutters, right? Like this is this kind of career and this is that kind of career. And this is what it means to do this kind of work. And these are the paths that are available to me. And so owning the creativity and seeing our power and our magic bringing this and our capacity to do that allows people to think outside the cookie cutter and think outside the possibilities that they maybe had previously imagined for themselves. I see a lot of people too, and this happened earlier in my career where like you get a certain kind of job and then you excel in it and you're kind of like, this is my career path now. I guess this is who I am and what I do versus thinking, who do I want to be? What do I want to do? And bringing that power back in versus just like following whatever track you're on to think about what you want, why you want it, and how you can create it for yourself. Even if no one's done it before, you don't have examples. Yeah, I like that. So one of the things that I think is really important when it comes to teaching our clients to tap into this creativity, at least for me and my clients, is creating courage and creating confidence. With my clients, I see that a lot of times, left to their own devices, they feel like they just have to sort of like follow the rules in their workplace, or follow the rules of what it means to have a career. So when it comes to creativity, it's like that first step is understanding that we're all creative beings. We're all creating all the time anyways. And then once you realize that, beginning to cultivate like, okay, how can I take ownership of that? How can I build or tap into my courage and confidence to begin making small shifts and small changes so that I can create more of my vision versus whatever I've been living in or whatever rules I've been following.
1: Do you think there's any downside to sort of collapsing? Like
3: everything is creative. Like we're all being creative whenever we do anything. I would love to hear what Elena thinks about this because she's the creative artist coach. But for me, that's how I think about absolutely everything in life, whether I'm like making a dinner or I'm doing something in my coaching business, or I'm helping my clients do something in their careers, or like with Judith's work, like the outfits I'm choosing to wear in the shades of lipstick, I think to me, it's all creative because it's all me making a choice in my brain to think a certain thought, to feel a certain way, to take a certain action. And that always creates something.
1: Actually, what that's bringing for me is that it's almost like, it feels to me like it's more important to stop thinking you are not creative than necessarily to like Have this sort of active positive identification as like, I am creative, I am a creative person, everybody's a creative person. Like thinking you aren't creative, it's easy to see how that will kind of like block you, right? Right. Your confirmation
3: bias will come in and be like, yeah, here's some evidence you're not.
1: Right. Are some people more creative than others, or no? We think everybody's equally creative.
3: I think it depends on like, I guess, like if we start with a framework of
0: like, what do we define as creative and do we resonate with that definition? Because I think like for some of my clients, they don't identify as stylish and like the word is almost repulsive to them. Like they get like a visceral reaction and they're like, I don't want to be stylish. That's not a thing for me. It's not important for me. So I'm like, okay, insert positive adjective, an attribute that you would like, Mm -hmm. and then we can work towards creating that. If that resonates more with you. So, I think in the same context here, like if the word creative does not resonate with you, insert positive adjective and then do the act of creation in terms of like the thought work, the feeling work, and maybe even some A line work to become insert positive adjective that you identify with.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's actually a really good point because I think the word creative, some people are just like, oh, I'm not creative. But you don't have to identify with that language. It's more about realizing how much power you have and that models are always running. So you can choose them or not choose them, but you're still doing it either way.
1: You want to get in on this, Elena? And what sounds like you're saying, Corey, is, I mean, that version of create is like, we always talk about creating results, right? As opposed to thinking about creativity as like some kind of artistic or generative on purpose process,
2: right? Yeah. I mean, I think like you will talk to like five different artists and they'll have like five, probably more different opinions on this. Like in the arts itself, you have a lot of gatekeeping around like what is creativity? What is good art? What is bad art? And that's like a different conversation because there's a specific framework for what we're talking about creativity there. I think like fundamentally it's about thinking about creativity in a way that creates the results that you want to create in your life. So for some people, it might be useful to think I am creative and everything that I do every day, like making a sandwich for lunch is creative. And that like builds, Corey was just pointing to herself (laughs) there. So thinking of it in that way might build confidence in your own creativity to then go out and, you know, start a revolution. So like in some terms, it might be useful for you to be thinking of yourself as creative in all of these different areas of your life. But I think for some people, like, they have a lot of baggage around the idea of creativity or only think of it in certain terms. And so it may be less useful for them. Like, I think as you teach car, it's, like, all about what results you're creating with how you're thinking.
0: I think you drew, like, sort of an interesting... Way of viewing it, like identifying as creative versus like the actual action of creating, mm-hmm. which I think is a distinction we had not heretofore really thought about or talked about before. Now we, we have two <laughs>
1: ex lawyer coaches on this podcast. So we're going to get into <laughs> a lot of definitions and here. coming.
0: <laughs> and I did say here too, for which is awesome. So, I mean, like, I think this just kind of plays like a bigger question, something I've explored in my work and something I did during the advanced training with Cara was the idea of like, you know, the concept of beauty as a thing itself versus like the adjective beautiful. And then even if we made that a verb, like beautifying something, right? Beautifying oneself. And like, even if we took creativity in that form, like, is there creativity as like a thing, a concept in and of itself versus like an adjective we ascribe to ourselves versus an act of things that we do, like as an actual verb. And I think it's kind of cool if we parsed it down in that terms, like people could find in the model where they identify with creativity. They can think of it as like a thing unto itself. They could conceptualize it that way. They could conceptualize it as like an adjective I ascribe to myself, like a thought, or it's an actual action I do. And I think that might be a fun way to kind of make it more accessible depending upon how you're wired.
1: This is making me want to Google the definition of creativity, but I'm curious for you, Judith, especially because you sort of coach on i think the realm that is traditionally given to women to express their creativity you know historically it's like oh the men are artists but then like women can have dressmaking so i'm just curious how you having gone through the advanced certification feminist coaching <laughs> you know you obviously see focusing on creativity and personal style and appearance as you know a valuable creative process and something that's empowering rather than kind of limiting or conforming. So I'd just be curious to kind of hear your sort of, yeah, how do you think about sort of as a feminist, having a business that's focused on this very traditional female domain of creativity, that's all about sort of appearance and style?
0: Yeah, no, there was some reconciling, I think, in early on. I went to an all women's college and I studied fashion at all women's college as well as legal policy studies. So my normal ran- double major, of course, legal it's policy totally studies and
1: fashion studies, just,
0: and I was taught feminism by nuns. So it's all good. It's all amazing. I- <laughs> but one of the interesting things in our women in fashion history course, cause there's a whole course we did just on women in fashion was women were really unrecognized for their talents as creative forces within fashion for really, really long time. Like if we look historically, like, yes, we were the workhorses. We were the ones in the ateliers and we were the seamstresses. We didn't actually get credit for designing for a very, very long time. In fact, we went through as one of our projects in that course was to count the number of women who had won like, you know, the fashion design fund award for decades. I think it was like 2% of women had won, whereas like 98% of men had won. I think Again, it's like taking back, you know, from a feminist standpoint, like our part in that history as artists is actually an act of revolution. Because for so long, we were merely like the models in which these garments were draped. We were the workhorses who created them, but we didn't get credit for the actual artistic design of them which I find like super fascinating historically. And like that to me is how I sort of reconciled all of this in a Jim Jam mash that is now my business. Oh, it makes
1: <laughs> sense. I think about this with my nail artist all the time where I'm like, nail artists are just like the miniaturist portrait painters of like the 18th century. Like, and there's this sort of like feminine creativity is so often prescribed to you or put in these areas that are sort of like grooming, daily life, like, I mean, I think about all this like nail art that gets done that are like all gets wiped away. It's like a mandala, you know, like it gets wiped away like every two weeks. And like the woman that I go to could draw like a tiny portrait of you on your nail with like a one hair brush. Right. And like, so interesting that it's like incorporated into beauty norms and standards and grooming and that it's like sort of this extremely almost disposable art as opposed to like the big scale portrait that we hang on the wall of like the dude on the horse,
0: right? I mean, one of okay, one of my favorite books on this topic, and I won't like I just get all jazzed up because this is so fun. But like, what Marie Antoinette wore to the revolution is one of my Wait, favorite. I'm sorry, books.
1: to? The, oh, that's the name of the book. That's the I thought you book. were actually saying like, there's a dress she wore to the revolution, <laughs> which I think would be like. Oh, the revolution's at Tuesday at 8.
0: So. It was at 2 p.m. She had a change of outfits, <laughs> which is extra as fuck. And I secretly love that. But no, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> There's a whole title of a book that's centered around like how like revolutionary her garments were and how she was actually like saying a lot politically mm. through the garments that she chose to wear, through the different types of hairstyles and the wigs that were created for her some of the scandalous portmanteaus that she donned like all these got to of- define
1: portmanteau for everybody not everybody knows what that means
0: okay so it's like a gown like a dressing gown i think is the most mm-hmm. closest approximation in american vernacular so and it got all got wiped away like she would have these amazing wigs made for her with these political statements that could have gotten her killed and eventually did and they would just be used once and then gone the next right. day, and a whole new thing would be fashioned for her. I just I'm so
1: fast. I know Corey wants to get on this, but I just want to add one other thing first, which is like there's also the element of the history of women of color in dressmaking and couture and in fashion and then in like daily, you know, outfit making, right. I mean, there was just an article in The New Yorker, which I'm sure you read about Anne Lowe, the yeah. famous African-American seamstress who sort of, you know, everybody was wearing her clothing, but nobody would. Say, say hello name. to her in public, right? Or right. And she wasn't recognized. So there's all of this kind of, even when somebody is like, she was running her own shop. So she's not hidden in the background, but she's still, you know, most people haven't heard of her who have heard of whatever white designers were working at the time who have heard of Yves Saint Laurent or whoever else was doing the couture.
0: Yeah there's so much of like forgotten history erased history of like the participation of women as designers but particularly women of color as designers it's almost like that history is so often ignored so seldom written that it's almost forgotten unless we make an active effort to speak her name and show the garments that she created and and make a fuss so to speak mm-hmm. one was not made at the appropriate time in history yeah
1: Make a Fuss would be a great podcast name. All right, Corey, what do, what do you got? I know we just went on like a 10-minute dressmaking digression.
3: <laughs> well, I love the idea of a podcast called Make a Fuss. So somebody get on that. Let's make that happen. And I think what you're talking about is really important. And I actually think it's interesting because when we bring up these things from history that like we don't necessarily know about or weren't spoken about or like Bring light onto people who are doing important creative work that wasn't seen as important creative work. That is a beautiful proof of concept for people who want to do something similar, who don't have narratives to turn to, to say like, look, someone else is doing it. But what I actually wanted to talk about was also, and this is something we talk about. I mean, you've talked about in your coaching work and I believe we talked about in the advanced certification too, but In addition to like whether women are the creatives or men are the creatives that are being recognized, there's also the subject object thing, which you coach on is like women are often taught to see ourselves as objects in the fashion industry. We're like, we're the object of the fashion, right? We're like the dress gets put onto us. So we're not centered in the creative act. But if women are taking back like their fashion, it's like moving yourself from the object to the subject. And I think that happens in the workplace too, I think people think about like, this is just how work is. These are just the things that are available to me versus moving ourselves back into the position of being the subject and designing life for ourselves, designing our fashion, not even necessarily like you're designing dresses, but designing the outfit you're putting onto yourself, designing your career trajectory based on what you want and what you care about. And I think the same thing, I mean, Elaine, I'd love to hear what you think, but also designing how you do creativity and how you do art on your own terms versus like being like, well, this is how like the men have always done it. And so we have to do it this way or like be receiving the thing that's happening.
2: Yeah. I think that raises one of the initial things that drew us to wanting to pitch this podcast to Kara of like looking at even creating a vision for yourself as an act of like, claiming your creative authority over your life and like allowing yourself to step into that power and to give yourself freedom to like play within that exploration, but like kind of even defining your vision as an act of creativity. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of times in terms
0: of vision, I think there's a rule book, right? Like women are socialized to have a particular rule book about what like visions and dreams are permitted to have for themselves, for their future, for their children. (laughs) Like there's like a very set limited like library that we're allowed to like pull from, which is why, you know, for a long time, there's the adage, like, are you a nurse or a teacher? Right? Like there's only so much we were permitted to do. We were permitted to dress a particular way. So yeah, I think the bigger question of like allowing yourself like the space to vision something different outside of like the library of rules that you were handed is kind of cool.
3: (laughs) Sorry, I got very excited and wanted to jump in and say, and like, and there's the library of what's available as a woman, but for every marginalized identity and every intersection of a marginalized identity, there's these different libraries. Like this is available to you as a white woman, but this other thing's available to you if you're a black woman. And those are the messages we get from culture. So really deciding that you can redefine that and build your own fucking library to choose from is such a powerful thing to do. But so many of us don't even realize we have this social conditioning. So I do think it's like first understanding what those messages were and seeing that they're optional and that you get to create different messages for yourself if you want to, which is what thought work is all about.
1: I feel like that's a perfect place to kind of bring this to a close, but I want to hear from each of you guys. And I will also do this. Like, what is a thought that you really like about creativity, whether it's for yourself or in general about you yourself. I think for me, like I definitely, as somebody who grew up thinking I wasn't creative because I thought creativity was like, you can draw, you can paint, you can whatever. And I actually did write fiction and poetry. So it doesn't even make sense on my own terms. Like most of our thoughts don't, but especially since I haven't stopped writing that kind of stuff, mostly in college, although sometimes I still write poems, but I think having now built this business, I think my definition of creativity has expanded, right? Which is like, well, I created this whole body of work and that's been a creative process. Although I do think that feels different to me than I think, or I imagine, like it certainly feels different to like write a piece of coaching theory than to write a poem. And so like maybe not part of this conversation, I still feel like there are different kinds of creativity or there should be some distinctions. Like I don't know that it feels helpful to collapse the whole thing into one category or one word. But thinking about creativity, not as art, but as what have I actually created? Is there something in my life I've created is a kind of powerful shift.
0: Yeah. And I think like for you, so like what we had sort of talked about, like in the A-line, if we put creativity in your A-line, then it resonates with you, right? Like the idea of creating something or body of work, like that resonates with you. And I think maybe a lot of your listeners might find the same, like identifying as a creative, as a thought about themselves may not, but in terms of what they have accomplished, created, done in their A-line, that might be where it like hits home. And then in terms of like a thought that I like to think in terms of creativity is I like to think about like old Hollywood movies, because this just works for me. And like, the way my brain works, but I like to think of the idea of like, I'm the leading lady, I move the plot forward. So I have like so much agency to like move the plot forward and like picking out a fabulous outfit, creating some new concept for my people, writing a legal brief, whatever Always that with
1: the perfect red lipstick. I move the plot forward with the perfect red lip. That's really Yes,
0: good. exactly. So that's the thought that resonates with
3: me. I I move the plot forward. Love it. I really like that. It's interesting because Carl, when you were saying like, do you think different things are creative in different ways? Like that resonated with me. But I also had this moment where I was like, oh, I think for me, it comes down not to the thing I'm doing, but to the F line, to the feeling of it. And the narrative I have, the thought I have to myself about it, because sometimes cooking a dinner is like, yeah, am I creating something? Yeah, it wasn't there. And now it is there. But sometimes when I make a dinner and I'm like playing with flavors, I'm like, what would be wild? Like, let me put this kind of vinegar in here. I wonder what that's going to do. It almost does feel like Mm -hmm. writing a poem or painting. To me, it might be different to everyone else, but I kind of love that idea that it's the feeling of it. And then a thought, like, my thought is like, everyone's creative. I don't need everyone else to believe that thought. But to me, that feels really powerful to believe that everyone's creative and everyone has the capacity to, if life's not what you want to make it different, and I guess to add a second thought that kind of goes with Judith's, it's like Judith wants to be the leading lady. And I'm like, I want to be the writer, which makes sense because my background's in writing before coaching. So I'm like, if you don't like the script, write a new one, just write a fucking You're Basically new one.
1: just planning a movie here is what's happening. This is actually like a development meeting for the first coaching movie. Yeah. I really like that. I think that distinction of like, there's some difference in qualitative process, right? Because I think that seems right no matter what, you can also write a poem that feels kind of perfunctory. And you're like, okay, well, yeah, I put the words on the paper. They weren't there before. So to create something versus being creative do feel like different things to me. I like that. Thinking about the feeling as one possible way of understanding that distinction.
3: Yeah. I have a so, master's in poetry and sometimes it did just feel like, oh, yeah, that's the words on the page. Yeah. Mm. Elena, finish us off with the wisest final...
1: <laughs>
2: No pressure. (laughs) Actually, I would say, because I am also a writer and director, and I have like a side life in the theater arts. So I have a lot of thoughts about creativity. A lot of them are because I tend to be perfectionist in my art or have a background of perfectionism in my art, that the most helpful thoughts that I have around generating art are, I think I borrowed this from Simone Soul, who's been on the podcast a few times. The idea that I'm building a body of work. So, like, one piece of work doesn't have to be everything. I can, like, cumulatively create a whole landscape of work. And then also, like, giving myself permission to just follow my curiosity because that is enough. Like, I can just follow my curiosity. And that has led me to, like, write an entire play, just following my curiosity. And then when it comes to applying creativity to my own life, just reminding myself, like, that my current life I have created and I always have the capacity to create something new.
1: Yeah. I love that. That actually we can tie in a bow. I feel like because that doesn't just apply to people who are, I mean, Simone's talking about it in like marketing and coaching. You're talking about it in art, right? But whatever it is you're doing, you're sending your sales emails in your business or you are writing legal briefs or you are like giving somebody a style makeover, like whatever it is you're doing, you're creating a body of work over time, right? And so I think we can see in that way, like, we didn't really talk about the relationship or like the antagonism between creativity and perfectionism that just came up in that last bit. But I feel like now 45 minutes in, we're like, oh, that's what the podcast should have been about. Perfectionism and creativity, given my audience. That'll be the sequel. But right, creativity is the sort of, I think, opposite of perfectionism. And Any way you can find to hack around your perfectionism is what will allow you to experiment and be creative, right? And that sort of like this one thing is just one little piece of a bigger mosaic of a life I'm creating or a body of work I'm creating is what will allow you to let that creativity out a little bit. So we've done all the creativity, but before we go, I would love to hear, since I know so many people listening to this episode our coaches are thinking about the advanced certification in feminist coaching or wondering if they should do it. What does it really add? What do you learn? Does it really that big of a difference? So if any of you have thoughts about that, I would love for you to share them with the listeners. I know, Corey, you said you had came prepared.
3: I have so many thoughts about this. So just for some context, I went through Unfuck Your Brain three years, I think about three years ago. I worked in the clutch as a clutch coach. People don't even know
1: what Unfuck Your Brain is.
3: Oh, Unfuck Your Brain was Cara's small group program that used to exist and now doesn't. So I went through that six-month program. It started more than three years ago at this point. I went through that. I became a coach. I worked in the clutch for not quite two years, but over a year and a half. And like I've just worked very closely with Kara for a long time. And I still learned a metric fuck ton in the advanced certification. Like I am incredibly familiar with Cara's work obsessed. I'll just own it. And still going through the certification took my knowledge to such a deeper level. And I really wanted to point that out because I think if you've like listened to all the podcasts and really followed Cara's work closely, you might be thinking like, okay, like how much am I still going to get out of this? And I just want to promise you tons. Your coaching will improve in ways like you can't even see ahead of time. And it's such a powerful experience. And honestly, just hearing Cara explain sort of like the back end of the coaching even though it's the coaching I'd been receiving for 3 years hearing her explain here's like why I'm making these choices in the coaching and here's why I'm doing this thing and then this thing it was transformational this is going to pay dividends for the rest of my coaching career and how I coach other people definitely but also for how I coach myself and like how I relate to coaching internally and my self coaching it's so good y'all i just want everyone to know it's so good and the more you know about car's work, you're just gonna know even more. Like there's no point at which you would already know all this stuff, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Yeah. That's and I'm
1: just thank
3: you. Yeah. She's <laughs> like,
0: let's just gas her head up video. while she's here. Let's gas her <laughs> head up. But even if you have a feminist background, this is what I would say. Like even if you've took some like feminism courses, women study courses, even if you went to an all women's college, you know, like myself, like not by nuns. Yeah, taught by nuns, right? Like learning feminism by Cara is a very different experience than being taught feminism by nuns. I'm just going to throw that out there. (laughs) But really, like even if you have like sort of a framework or a base knowledge of some of this information, it's not presented the way that it would be in like a course in your college. (laughs) This was like a master's level shit, y'all. And I remember like reading some of the modules and having to be like, I need to walk away now and process because my brain it's now broken. And I can't unsee this now that I know what's happening in the background or why I've been feeling the way that I've been feeling or the experiences of like women of color around me, like, oh shit. So even if you're coming from like a framework and you're like, well, I don't really need that. No, this is a whole new level. It's not the same as when you learned it before. Like it's good to get (laughs) like this version of it, particularly with regard to how you show up as a coach or you know some sort of service provider in some way like it's fucking magic yeah
2: good thank you guys i will just say that obviously i have like a pre-existing relationship with you i was certified last year in the fall and i can say that like my coaching up leveled so much during this process on so many different levels like i would say if you're a coach who has a commitment to using coaching in service of like liberation of any kind or social justice of any kind, this is such like a vital way of learning how to reconcile the kind of radical self-responsibility that we teach in coaching with this social responsibility. Like I kind of went into this certification program feeling a little mixed up about how I could do that with integrity as a coach. And now I feel fully like I am in integrity with my values as a coach. And then also just in terms of like the conversation we've been having today about creativity and applying creativity to your life, I would say that going through this program, you learn so many arenas of life that just seem, you just kind of have accepted this is how things are. And this program opens the door to seeing how those systems have been created and can be recreated. And you learn the exact tools as a coach in order to impact that change. So, yeah.
1: I love that because especially I think that part about radical self-responsibility and social justice and social awareness is like the piece that is often missing. And people end up like in one extreme or the other. It's like bootstraps, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and it's all your thoughts or it's everybody in the world is responsible for every feeling I've ever had. And I can't make anything of my life because structural forces exist. And so I'm a victim of... Every literal thought I have about myself or anyone else is true. And to question any of that is to, you know, is a microaggression. Like, I feel like those are like the two very strong extremes. So I think, but like learning how to integrate those things is so important. I think is like exactly the space that I was trying to fill in the coaching world with my work in general is like, how do we understand coaching as a tool for liberation in a liberatory political framework without it becoming kind of either extreme? Thanks for coming on, you guys. Thank you for having us. And all their um, links and things will be in the show notes, wherever the show notes live. (laughs) I've never looked at the show notes before, but we do have them. They're on our website, I think, unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash podcast. All right. Till next week, chickens. If you're loving what you're learning in the podcast, you have got to come check out The Clutch. The Clutch is the podcast community for all things Unfuck Your Brain. It's where you can get individual help applying the concepts to your own life. It's where you can learn new coaching tools not shared on the podcast that will blow your mind even more. And it's where you can hang out and connect over all things thought work with other podcast chickens just like you and me. It's my favorite place on earth and it will change your life. I guarantee it. Come join us at www.unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. That's unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. I can't wait to see you there.